Good morning and welcome. May I add my welcome to that you've already felt from the worship leading. And uh, I want to thank Daniel. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that one. <laughs> For that long reading. And uh, Paul has a habit of writing in very long sentences. And so you did very well. Thank you. Uh, obviously, I'm not Steve. I don't have the hair for it. <laughs> now, Steve's asked me to step in and uh, finish off Colossians for him, and uh, that's exactly what I'm going to do, finish it off. <laughs> but we're actually only this morning looking at uh, a few verses in the end of chapter 1, at verses 21 to 27. And uh, in the first two weeks of this three-week series on Colossians, Steve covered um, the beginning of that up until verse 20. And um, if you haven't got that, in other words, this is the first interface you've had with this series on Colossians, I encourage you to go online if you have that facility and uh, watch, listen to uh, the first two weeks. It set you up really well for what we're going to do uh, this morning. And this morning I want to tackle this, um, these six verses from a point of view of describing to you three scenes and have you sort of climb into it, if you were, uh, as it were, into those times and the words. And the first scene is a house in Rome somewhere. We're not sure where, but in this house is the Apostle Paul and some of his friends, including Timothy, that we know of for sure. But the peculiar thing about this, it's not an ordinary house because it's actually a place of house arrest. Paul is under, we think, house arrest, awaiting trial, and he would have been chained to a Roman soldier of some sort in shifts. Fancy, you know, I think that's more punishment on a soldier than, than Paul, but anyway, that's how it was, particularly because he couldn't have got away from Paul, and you know Paul, he would have been, <laughs> he would have been talking him through the gospel very, very strongly. And this is about, we think, AD 60, 62, so some 30 uh, years or so from after Christ's death and resurrection. And Paul has returned after his third missionary journey and he's returned to Jerusalem and there he has been accused of taking Gentiles into the temple. And uh, they, the people who have accused him of that don't understand that they all took a vow and they were probably only in the Gentiles' court anyway, but it was enough for them to have him arrested on this trumped-up charge of uh, profaning the temple of the Lord. And uh, so he's put in jail there, and after a whole lot of rigmarole and so on, they find out that there's a plot to kill him. And uh, so they transfer him by night to Caesarea Philippi, which is down the coast from Jerusalem, and he spends another couple of years in a prison there, awaiting um, Felix and uh, uh, the governor to make up their mind as to what they're going to do with him. And he gets so sick of this that in the end Paul says, well, I'm a Roman. I have the right to appeal to Caesar, and so I'm going to appeal to Caesar. And so this was quite handy for the governor because he could get him off his hands very quickly. 
appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. And so he was sent off to Rome. But of course it wasn't smooth sailing, <laughs> literally. They got shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And all sorts of marvellous things happened during the trip and there, but we don't have time to go all into those this morning. And so he's there now. The scene is he's in house arrest in Rome. Uh, but while he's there, somehow, and I don't know how they did it with the chain. Oh, actually, he only dictated his letters. We think Timothy wrote them while he was there with Paul. And together they compiled Ephesians, Philippians, Philemon, and this letter as well, Colossians. So he's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He's allowed visitors and carers, people to look after him and provide him with food. And, of course, we know for certain Timothy was with him. So that's the first scene, house arrest in Rome. The second scene I want to paint for you is um, this centred around this guy called Epaphras. I love that, Epaphras. I'm glad you're not sitting too close in the front row. (laughs) Blessings on you. Epaphras was uh, introduced to us by Steve. And Epaphras actually uh, planted the church in Colossae, probably under Paul's leadership from a distance. Paul was in Ephesus at the time, we understand. And and Epaphras has planted this church. And it's a church in a Greek township that has also got a lot of Jews in it as well because the Jews have fled and been evicted from Rome and uh, Jerusalem and so on and, and uh, God's will has been uh, made available by that happening. And uh, Epaphras has planted this church and then he makes a journey from Colossae to Rome, which is no small thing, to meet up with Paul. And in the immortal words of um, Tom Hanks from Apollo 13, Houston, we have a problem. And so actually it was Paul, we have a problem. Because what had happened in the church at Colossae, they had started, well, not started to, because they were Greeks in in background and Jews in background, they were wanting to have all aspects of their background and their, their culture and their religious upbringing Syncretized. Do you love that word? Syncretized. It means put in together, in sync with it. In other words, we want Jesus and some of our mysticism. We want Jesus and some of our religious uh, rules and regulations. We want Jesus and, but we can only do that if we live a, live apart. That's with the Essenes or the ascetics. And uh, that's where the Dead Sea Scrolls came from, where the Essenes lived apart from everybody else. So this this blend of Greek mysticism, Jewish uh, uh, legalism, Gnosticism, which was about superior knowledge and uh, and mysteries, and the asceticism that I mentioned. And they wanted to, Jesus and... And when Epaphras complained about this, he said, just Jesus? Is that all you're offering us? Just Jesus? And so, Houston, we have a problem. And so he went to his mentor, Paul. He went to uh, the person who most of them would have regarded as the chief apostle. 
and even though Paul was in house arrest, Epaphras turns up to explain this problem and seek understanding and guidance. And we believe that Paul, in, in helping, being helped with Timothy, um, wrote this letter back to the Colossian church. It's uh, 95 verses, approximately 2,000 words, and we're only covering verse 21 to 27 today, but that will be the end of the series. But now, scene three, we're introduced to Tychicus. I love that too. Epaphras and Tychicus. Why don't we have names like that these days? For obvious reasons, I think. Anyway, Tychicus is a long-term co-worker of Paul. He's often sent by Paul to teach in Paul's absence. And Tychicus ends up carrying the letter back to Colossae. And just on a little aside, do you, do you, you remember the character of, uh, Onesimus, or Onesimus, I used to call him? He was a runaway slave from Philemon in Colossae. That, this is all the same place. And believe it or not, because it tells us so in chapter 4, Onesimus went back with Tychicus to Colossae with the letter. So that sort of ties in all those characters uh, together. And so scene three is a continuing one, as I want you to imagine how Tychicus would have read this letter out to the church. And of course, we have it in, broken up in, in verses and chapters, but it was one long letter. Uh, and it's a short one of Paul's compared to some of them. But he would have read this to the church, in my imagination anyway. He would have read this to the church. And I also imagine him explaining it as he went. Because he'd heard that, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> and so with Paul's um, letter and God's guidance and spirit, he's going to explain it. So that's the three season. A prison or a house arrest, Epaphras turning up and now Tychicus taking the letter back. And so we go to the first slide, please, dear. Chapter 1, verse 21. Once, says Paul, you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. The Greek word for alienated literally means transferred to another owner. And so when they were alienated, they were transferred, they became an alien nation. Get it? Transferred, moved from God to an alien nation. Once, says Paul, that was your case. Not now. And the evil thoughts that you start in your mind become evil actions, become evil behaviour, leads to alienation. And sometimes, you know, those thoughts that started off in our minds start off as good thoughts. But you, the risk is if they're not God thoughts, the response at the end of it all is, oh. It's the only real difference. Oh. And so uh, sin, alienation sets them or us apart. So the next slide, please, dear. So Tychicus explains this. He says, we are of Adam's race. Sin has alienated us from God. And the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22 clearly says that the, 
guilt of Adam was passed on to the entire race. It says in verse 21 of 15, For since death came through a man, Adam, lost my place. So uh, the resurrection of the dead come also through a man, Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Don't grow old. It's hard to see. It's hard to hear. But I'm still here. And you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> yeah. So the New Testament clearly teaches that the guilt of Adam was passed on to us all. It's sort of like sin is in our DNA. And if you don't believe that, I remind you that most babies' first words are no or mine. And so it's there. And it's like this, there's, there's this gorge or gulf and we're on the one side of this massive, I guess like the, um, what's that big uh, canyon in America called? That one, yep. <laughs> Whichever it was. And, and God's on the other side because we've been alienated by sin and this chasm is full of sin in a sense. That's a little picture I like to keep in my mind. And there's no way we can cross. Not human effort. That's religion, do. Not good works, that won't get us across. We can't even build a bridge ourselves by obedience to the laws. No one can keep the Ten Commandments. You try it for even a day <laughs> in every aspect. You know, we are born sinful and we are part of Adam's race. And so Tychicus goes on to the next slide, thanks to you. But he said, Paul says, but... I love this as well. He's not put but there, I've put but there. Never mind. My translation says, but in Christ there is a complete change of status. In Christ you are different between the difference between a believer and a non believer is not just merely forgiveness, although that's aspect of it. There is a complete change of status. Or status. We were an alienation, but now we've been transferred to a new owner, God. And so the next slide, please, dear. Verse 22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Boy, that's a change of status from how we understand ourselves as part of Adam's race to now a complete change of status. And what's happened literally is in this gulch, this gulf, the cross of Jesus has bridged it because Jesus laid down his life for us. And I in my mind see the cross lying down with Jesus on it as a bridge from one side to the other. A complete change of status from an alien nation to God's chosen. To present you wholly in his sight and blame us, it says in Romans 3. For 
there is no difference, Paul says in one of his earlier longer letters, he said, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory. All of us start out on the wrong side of this gulf and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus laying down his life. You know, that's the principle of justification. It's a big word that we use sometimes. But what it really means is God treats us just as if we hadn't sinned. Just as if we haven't sinned. We are not perfect. We are not sinless. But he treats us as such because of the great sacrifice of his son Jesus to present us holy in his sight. Next slide, please. And Tychicus explains this by saying God's answer to alienation is reconciliation. The way from the alienation to this side is a reconciliation where God has Jesus pay. That's what reconciliation is, is paying for to fix that relationship up. God's answer is the bridge of the cross, reconciliation. Now that reconciliation has taken place and is available to us, the cross of Christ Jesus is the only way across that chasm of separation from the alienation. Next slide, please, dear. And the 23rd verse, Paul continues, if you continue in your faith. And that follows on, of course, from the sentence before. They're broken up into separate verses, but it's the same sentence without blemish and free from, free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He's just reminding the Colossian church, you've heard this before. This is what Epaphras has been teaching you all along. I need to remind you to be if you continue. It's conditional. The gospel, the Colossians wanted the gospel to be plus something. Jesus plus something. Just Jesus? Oh, surely not. There must be more. Surely we've got to do something. Their philosophies, well, their philosophies, and cultural influence um, were distractions. You remember in uh, week one and two, Steve explained about distractions being the issue. You know, we're on our trail following Jesus, then this new thing pops up over here. Oh, that looks good. I'll go and check that out. And if we're not careful, we start adding something to Jesus. And our Bible starts to get thicker because we've got new bits in it that don't belong there. Just Jesus? Surely not. Distractions and diversions. But the answer from the gospel, Paul reminds us, is a very clear no. No. Next slide, please, dear. And uh, Epaphras, uh, sorry, Tychicus unpacks this by saying that this is a conditional if. If you do not move from the hope. If you do not move from the gospel that you've heard and it's been spread around. The gospel offers hope. Hope is held out in the gospel. And that door of hope here 
we proclaim to be in partnership with the gospel. We wouldn't dare call ourselves the door of hope if that wasn't the case. We're in partnership with the gospel. In a world that is fragile and full of distractions. We're to fix our eyes on Jesus. One of the songs we sang earlier was about that. And in Hebrews 12, 2, the writer there says, well, if I find it, you'll say, here he says it, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And the next slide, Paul continues, he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I fill up my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. And the Greek for rejoice, the meaning behind the word Greek in Greek for rejoice is rejoice. I like those translations. <laughs> And he's, he's, he's in house arrest, he's in chains, he's had three to five years of prison one way or another, he's on trumped up charges, he was shipwrecked on, on the way over, he was bitten by a snake uh, and there was a plot to kill him. But he says, I rejoice, I'm calmly happy of the situation I'm in. The message puts it really well. He says, I, uh, the translation, I want you to know how glad I am that it's me sitting here in jail and not you. So am I, actually. <laughs> I welcome the chance to take my share in the church's part of that suffering. And so Tychicus unpacks this with the next slide, please. He says, it's all, what's happening, is all for Christ's body, the church. That's all. It's all for Christ's body, the church. What Paul is going through is all for the body of Christ. What all that he's gone through is all for the body of Christ. What he will face in the future is all for the body of Christ. Elsewhere in his letters, he talks about being a prisoner for Christ, a prisoner for the sake of the church. But it also gave Paul, the evangelist, wonderful opportunities where he had a captive audience. You know, when uh, Roman soldiers are tied up to him for eight hours at a time, it gives you an advantage. And the next slide, please. Dear. Uh, verse 25, Paul says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That word servant he uses quite a bit in his letters. He's not self-appointed. He was set about by the Holy Spirit at Antioch. He was commissioned by the leaders of the church at Antioch. God appointed him on the Damascus Road. And that's where Paul saw the light. Wait for it. Got it? Yeah, he saw the light on the Damascus Road. He was blinded by the light on the Damascus Road. Leave the jokes out, won't And the next slide, thanks dear, Tychicus unpacks this in a way, he says, Paul moved from persecuted Christians to a personal commission from God. Before on the Damascus Road, Paul was arresting followers of the way. He was imprisoning them. 
He was seeing and approving of their stoning. Remember the story of Stephen, the disciple Stephen, who was stoned. Paul was standing by holding the coats of the people throwing stones and approving of what was happening. He was a very zealous Jew protecting the Jewish religion, he thought. We can't have these followers of the way, these upstarts, who've got away from our, our understanding. But actually, he wasn't persecuting the church. He was persecuting Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 4 to 6, on the Damascus road, there's this voice that comes to him, Saul, Saul, that was his name before he became Paul, why do you persecute me? And he answers, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And then Jesus replies, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. See, he wasn't persecuting Christians, he was persecuting Jesus. And God met him, Jesus met him, confronted him and ultimately appointed him and a 180 degree turn in his life. He still kept going to Damascus, as was a, a, a thing to happen there for him, but he was turned around. Next slide, Paul says in Colossians 1.26, a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. And that follows on from the word of God in its fullness, the mystery. You Colossians, says Paul, are all into mysticism. You love mysteries. Well, let me give you two mysteries. And these are biggies. Mystery number one. The Gentiles were not part of God's elect in the, under the old covenant. But now to be included. And they were to be included. And there's hints of that right through the Old Testament, which we who have hindsight and got the Old and New Testament can see. But the Jews couldn't see it because there was literally a veil over their eyes. They were blinded. And uh, the next slide, Tychicus unpacks this by saying, it's not hidden to us. He's speaking uh, from the point of view of uh, being a Christian because we have the whole word of God. And there was a guy called Augustine, which you may have heard of, who lived around the 400 AD Mark, who was a theologian and philosopher. He originated this saying which says the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the new concealed and the New Testament is the old revealed. And that's worth keeping in the back of your mind as you study the Old and New Testament. We can say this mystery about Gentiles because we have the whole word of God and we have the perspective of both Old and New Covenants. This mystery is disclosed to the Lord's people. That's us believers. And then the next slide. Uh, Colossians 1.27, Paul finishes this section off. He says, to them, that's the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So mystery number one was that it was hidden from the Gentiles, the, what was uh, hidden from the Jews, what was to, how the Gentiles were to be included in God's plan. And mystery number two is Christ is living in the Christians at Colossae. That's a mystery. 
God no longer in a tent or a tabernacle or a temple. He's no longer in the Jewish synagogue and God doesn't even live in a church, believe it or not. He lives, the full image of the invisible God lives within us believers. We are the temple of the Lord. In Ephesians 3, it says, to make known... I'm sorry, Paul says, I pray, Ephesians writer says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Live in your hearts by faith. And the previous six verses have all just been to get to this point. And uh, the next slide, please, says... And Tychicus unpacks this for him. He says, Christ is the only source of hope in this fragile and uncertain world. Nothing else, just Jesus. No, you don't need anything else. How did you, how, so how do we cross the chasm from alienation to reconciliation? Well, the truth is, we can't cross it. And the second truth is, we don't have to cross it. Jesus Christ has already crossed it for us and we are transferred from an alienation to a place in Christ. And in fact, so much so that instead in the Old Testament over there, God lives in the temple and other places that he described to them. Here, as we're transferred, he comes to live in us. Each of us who have a faith in Jesus Christ, Christ dwells in us. And this is the hope. This is the glorious hope that this gospel is all about. This is the bottom line. This is the punchline. This hope, this glorious hope, and this glorious hope is for now. We get to share it with others. But it's more about the future glory, to spend eternity with Christ in the heavens. And uh, Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians says this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If only for this time. If our hope is only about this world, if our hope is only about our career or our choice of life partner, or where we live or what we're going to do, if that's all our hope is built around as a Christian, Paul says, you're pitiful. You are to be pitied more than the people who don't even have hope. But your hope's in the wrong thing. You're still in the alienation. You want to be over here, but one foot's over the chasm. And you know if you try and reach across a big ditch like that, you'll end up in it. If only hope. So we had the house arrest scene. We had Epaphras turning up. Houston, we have a problem. And then we have Tychicus taking the letter back and being part of Paul's message to them. You will have resonated with one or other of those scenes. But the important issue is 
what are you going to do with the hope that you understand you have? And if this is all new for you and you haven't grasped this hope yet, don't go away this morning without talking to somebody about it. Raise the question. I will be available at the end of the service along with the prayer team to answer any questions or to pray for you, to respond to something you might have or to um, explain something that I've said. The hope of glory is great for now, but it's really about the long term. That's what we hope for. Let me pray. Father God, I just pray that you will filter the things that I've said this morning. You will correct in people's minds the things they need to hear, that you'll cover over those things where I've not communicated clearly. That a transference will occur, it will occur from an alienation to reconciliation. Thank you for Jesus Christ, your son.